So we see the he wins the gold medal. I'm not sure if I think that's just as funny or the fact that one of the competitors was called Oh No. <laughs> we see that this guy wasn't going to win. He, he was coming last the entire way. And only by the misfortune of his competitors did he manage to sail through the finish line and claim the gold medal. See, he was meant to be last, but he came first. I wonder if this sounds familiar to you. Remember when you were a kid, maybe you are at a family gathering, maybe it's a barbecue, all the kids are off playing, and then one of the adults announces there's snacks. So kids come running from everywhere. And you're maybe that kind of kid that's like got your elbows out, you are going to make it first. You're ready to get all of those snacks. You get to the table before everyone else and they start to pile in around you, getting them out of the way, hands are in, manners are out the window, and then an adult says, hey, no pushing and shoving, go to the end of the line. I was first, but now I have to be last. We see that Jesus uses this in his teaching too. The first will be last and the last will be first. Before we jump into the parable today of the workers in the vineyard in Matthew 20, I want us to just jump back a moment to Matthew 19. And so at the end of Matthew 19, we hear of the rich young ruler. Maybe you've heard of this story before. This, this guy, a rich young ruler, comes to Jesus and he says, I'm doing all the right things. I'm, I'm living a good life. I'm keeping all the commands. But how do I access the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says to him, Maybe you need to sell all your possessions and then come and follow me. And the rich young ruler walks away disheartened because he's not sure whether he can do that. And so the disciples see this and they think, well, hey, Jesus, we're doing that. We gave up everything to come and follow you. And so Peter stands up and, and asks Jesus. In Matthew 19, 27, it says, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? So Jesus is concerned that his disciples might start to become a bit arrogant and, and start this kind of us-and-them mentality. That I, I did this, therefore I'm better and I'm stronger, I'm more, more loyal, I'm more obedient than that person over there. And so my reward should be greater. So in the last line of Matthew 19, as a part of his response to Peter, Jesus says this, but many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. We see this phrase kind of bookends the parable we're going to look at today. It's in that final verse in Matthew 19, and it's at the end of the parable. We know that when things are repeated in Scripture, they're usually worth taking note of. Yeah? So Jesus continues to teach Peter and the others. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're looking at Matthew 20, verse 1 to 16. It'll be on the screen as well. These are Jesus' words. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning. Now, I'm not sure what early in the morning looks like to you. Anything before 9am is kind of early in my morning. But for, these, for this guy, it was about 6am. So he goes out at 6am to, to hire workers for his vineyard and agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them to his vineyard. We know that a denarius is a unit of currency at the time single silver coin, which had the value of a single day's wage. And we know that in modern times, most of us maybe average a workday of about eight hours. I know some are more, some are less. But in these times, it was a 12-hour workday, mostly from sunrise to sunset. 
So at 6am, he finds some workers. Then at about 9 o'clock in the morning, he went and saw some others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. And again at noon, and then at about 3 in the afternoon, he did the same thing. And then again at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, he went out and found others still standing around and asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you go also and work in my vineyard. See, these labourers would go to the marketplace first thing in the morning looking for a day's work. They, weren't, went, they were seen to be lazy and that, that they couldn't hold down a proper job, but, but maybe if they went to the marketplace early enough in the day, they might be able to pick up a day's work. But what that meant was that these guys were living hand to mouth. They needed to earn that money each day to be able to, on the way home, collect the supper for their family that was always the chief meal of the day. We pick up the scripture in, in verse 8. When, when evening came, the, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So we see it's back to front. The most recently hired workers, who have, have only been there about an hour, they get paid first. And then the ones that have been there since the crack of dawn, well, they go last. The workers, in, in verse 9, the workers who were, were hired around 5 in the afternoon came and re- each received a denarius, the whole day's wage. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. Where, when they received it, they, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last only worked one hour, and you made them equal to us. Who have borne the burden of the work all day and in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you being envious because I'm generous? And then Jesus says, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So what exactly does it mean when Jesus says in the kingdom of heaven the first will be last and the last will be first? Perhaps maybe we need to work out what it doesn't mean first. In Ephesians 2 verse 8 it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Thankfully, Access to the kingdom of heaven isn't reliant on your bank balance or how hard you work. Also, it's not automatically reverse either. It's not like all the rich people are going to be poor and all the poor people are going to be rich. It's not just that straightforward. It's not opposite day. He's not saying to the rich young ruler, the fact that you have money and stature, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He's saying that until you can see past that, until it no longer rules your life, until you're willing to give it all up, it remains a barrier to you entering the kingdom of heaven. And so what is Jesus saying about the kingdom of heaven? In the kingdom of heaven, worldly rules are turned upside down. The rules of this world don't necessarily apply to the kingdom of heaven. They're not opposite, but they're definitely different. The point Jesus is trying to make is that all believers 
no matter how long or how hard you've been working throughout your lifetime, no matter what we accumulate, no matter how we compare to others or, or of those worldly expectations of us, it's, it's irrelevant in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven levels all that out. Every, purpose, every person has a purpose in the kingdom. Every person has something to offer to the kingdom. Every person has value in the kingdom. We don't often see that in the world. There's no comparisons. There's no measuring up. There's no missing out. If you're a citizen of heaven, you get the maximum amount of benefits. Everyone does. If you're invited and accept a place in God's vineyard, it's all inclusive. You get all the benefits. Whether you came early or arrived late, whether you've been a Christian since yesterday or you've been a Christian for 70 years, God has a place for you. He loves you and he values you just the way you are. Sometimes I wonder, are we at risk of of applying the rules and the social constructs of this world to that of the kingdom of heaven? Like the early labourers in the vineyard, they worked longer and harder through the heat of the day, thinking it would get them more pay, even though they got exactly what was promised to them. The landowner kept his promise. He wasn't ripping them off. He was being generous to the others. Which leads to our second point today. In the kingdom of heaven, God's goodness prevails. I wonder whether you've been, been tempted to question God's goodness. Have things of this world felt too overwhelming? You can't wrap your head around why bad things happen. Hey friends, you're not alone. We all do. As Christians, we accept we live in, in this broken world. It's not the way God planned for it to be. Crappy things happen all the time. Pandemics, poverty, bushfires and floods, suicide, cancer. Sometimes, particularly over the past season, it's felt like it's a downhill run. But as a citizen of heaven, we have the opportunity to see things through the filter of the kingdom, to see things differently. It doesn't mean all of those things disappear, but we know that God's goodness prevails. In the midst of pain and suffering and injustice, God remains good. And maybe not straight away, but but over time, maybe we see that there's a purpose or an opportunity. For people who have been Christians for a while, imagine if we didn't have God in the midst of our pain and in the trials of life. Imagine trying to do this thing called life in our own strength. In the kingdom of heaven, things look different because we're looking at the world using a kingdom filter. We're developing a kingdom mindset so that when these things of the world come at us, we're kind of ready. God showed up last time, and he will again. I got through it last time. I'll get through it again. At the end of the day, all said and done, God's goodness prevails, and we hold on to that hope through the trials of this world. In the kingdom of heaven... God's grace is sufficient. See, this parable doesn't intend to teach us a lesson about business or industrial relations, though it kind of looks like that at the start. 
The landowner in the parable went to the marketplace at various times during the day and saw not only each worker, but the family that was relying on him to take food home at the end of the day. There were smaller valued coins that he could have paid those later workers, but he knew that a fraction of a denarius would not be enough. At the end of the day, the employer paid the labourers who were hired on that day, not in relation to their hours, but in accordance to their needs. They all needed a denarius, and he gave them enough. At the time Jesus told this parable to his disciples, it was believed in the Jewish doctrine that the people must accumulate numerous good deeds, which might convert to favour before God. In the teaching of this parable, Jesus showed that that God doesn't see people on the principles of merit. He doesn't deal with with the person on the basis of of tit for tat or or one good deed deserves another. God's grace simply cannot be divided. In the same way, the landowner didn't split hairs and give the labourers a a portion of of the denarius. No, he, he gave it all. The grace of God also doesn't deal in percentages. God's grace is all-sufficient and all-encompassing, and his grace is all we need. A couple of questions for us to consider before we wrap up today. Where are you in relation to the kingdom of heaven? Today, right now in these pews or at home or wherever you're tuning in from online, take a few moments to consider where you are in relation to the kingdom of heaven. You're not sure what all this is about. Maybe you're new to church or to faith. Perhaps there's something deep inside of you that's whispering, I need that hope. I want that kingdom mindset. I need God's grace today. Well, friends, I have great news. We know the way how to access the kingdom of heaven. It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Understanding that we don't have it all together. We don't always make the right decisions. But God's goodness prevails. That even though we don't feel worthy, even though we make mistakes, God's goodness prevails. In the ultimate act of his goodness and mercy, Jesus died for you. To wipe the slate clean of all of those ways we don't measure up, he gives us his forgiveness and grace. And not just a fraction of it, the fullness of it. Perhaps today you need to invite Jesus into your life for the first time or again to step into his kingdom purposes for your life and start to look at the world through that kingdom filter. Perhaps you're a bit like Peter or those early workers in the parable. What do I get out of following Jesus? What do I get out of it? What's in it for me? See, faith in Jesus unlocks the door to the kingdom of heaven and starts your new eternal life with God the Father. Your eternal life starts now. You don't have to wait until you die to access the kingdom of heaven. Faith in Jesus means you get a new outlook on this world and on life. You get the kingdom mindset, and you get his everlasting and sufficient grace, just like the rest of us. It's exactly what we need, and it's not a portion. It's not a portion of... Of, of grace. It's not a portion of forgiveness. And it's not based on your deeds or how hard or how long you work for it. You get it all now. 
Perhaps you've been a Christian for a while and you know some, some of this stuff already. But those worldly things start to creep in. They start to consume you and your eyes start to, to drift away from the kingdom of heaven. The best news is the door's always open. There's always an opportunity to press into God and his kingdom, to reassess and reevaluate things. And he's standing there with a full day's wage. He knows what you're facing. He knows how hard it is. And he loves you anyway. Despite your fears, despite your failures, he gives you a full portion of his grace. Perhaps today you need prayer, you need some support to take that next step forward, whatever that looks like for you. Whether it's a new decision for Jesus or whether it's refocusing and recalibrating your mindset back to the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're here for. The pastors and staff and elders, that's what the the people next to you in the pews are for. That's why we come here, to look after each other, to build each other up. So during this final song or after the service, maybe you want to turn to the person next to you and say, hey, I need some help, I need some prayer, or you want to come up the front, that's okay too. Let's pray today. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this time together. We pray that your word would settle in our hearts. Thank you that you allow each one of us to access a relationship with you through your son, Jesus. May we be reminded today that your your kingdom is greater, your kingdom is larger, and it is more powerful and has more authority than anything in this world. May we not lose sight of that, Father God. Thank you that you see our true value and worth and that you sent your son to the cross for our sake. May we be challenged as we go from here today to keep our eyes on kingdom matters, not those worldly distractions, not worldly circumstances, that you are all we need and your grace is sufficient. Father God, we pray for those on the edge of a decision. We pray that you would fill them with the boldness to make that first step towards you today. It might be the first one ever. It might be the first one in a while. We pray right now that all fear and anxiety would fall away. In the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.